Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp magazines for over 25 years. Online at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event Podcast, a panel discusses Meteor House, publishers of science fiction and fantasy connected with the late science fiction grandmaster, Philip Jose Farmer. On the panel are Meteor House's Mike Croteau, Wynne Scott Eckert, and Paul Spiteri. Keith Howell, Meteor House's designer, moderates. Their presentation was part of FarmerCon 17, held in conjunction with PulpFest 50. FarmerCon celebrates the legacy of author Philip Jose Farmer. The talk was recorded on Friday, August 5, 2022, at PulpFest 50 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Keith begins. All right, so uh, what is the official title of this thing? I noticed it was something really long. It's not what's on there. That was from, <laughs> that's the title of it from like three years ago. So what's our title? <laughs> um, what have we been doing for the past yeah. three years? Okay, yeah. Welcome House. to Meteor House. What have we been doing for the last three years? Yeah, that's the title. Uh, since, the last, the one. since the last time we were since here. the last time we were here, 2019. Uh, so yeah, uh, as, as we said, I'm Keith and uh, Donna... Any book that's come through Meteor House has had my design hands on it at mm -hmm. some point. Mm -hmm. um, and this is Paul, this is Wynn, this is Mike, and they are Meteor House. Okay? Uh, so, <clears throat> I'm going to jump right in because this seems like we've got a very, very short time to speak. So, the first thing I'm going to throw out to you guys because this is what this whole, the whole weirdness of this year is all about for us coming in here is like, what did the pandemic do to Meteor House? How did it affect your publishing and uh, plans? Gotcha, yeah, so good question. The first thing it did to us, and for those who don't know, there might be like three people in the audience not familiar with Meteor House. Uh, we basically, for the most part, publish books by Philip Jose Farmer or about Philip Jose Farmer or Projects he started but never finished, we get other people to complete, we repackage things, we're doing first hardcover editions of his works. It's basically all about Phil. And the first thing we did during the pandemic was lower the price of all of our ebooks <laughs> to the cheapest we could go where Amazon still paid us a decent royalty on it. And then we've just kept them all there ever since. That's just our new price going forward. Um, that was the big first thing we did. And then as far as the pandemic goes, last year, the supply chain issues really hit us hard. We had issues with paper. We had issues getting things printed. Lightning source took forever on a few things. My local printer had some issues. And books we would normally have shipped in October, shipped in January. So that completely changed the way we're doing business now. We used to focus on PulpFest. Every year we bring out two or three books and they would come out here at Pulp Fest and we'd debut them here and you could get it here first and then afterwards we would ship them to our customers and we're no longer doing that. This book shipped in June. This book will ship as soon as we get home from Pulp Fest, but we're no longer putting all our eggs in this basket. We're now spreading things throughout the year just because the pandemic proved, you know, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. But we got through it. We did three great books last year we're going to tell you all about. And um, I think those are the, the two biggest things that changed our, that the pandemic did to Meteor House. Um, 
I would yeah. also maybe piggyback it just a little bit on there when you're talking about it's all farmer related, but I would say it's the Meteor House has, has grown to the point where now it's an expansion of farmers' works now. I mean, it's not just, uh, just farmer, it's now expanding the universe of farmer, you know. So if, you're, if you like what Farmer does, I think uh, Meteor House is giving you more and more and more rather than just uh, you know, bringing back the golden oldies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to note. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, we're, you know, there, there are always some kind of new undiscovered works or essays from his papers. And so we're, that's one of our missions is to try to bring that out to the public. So it's not only just reprinting books that have already come out before, but trying to do you know, new critical essays or things like that or essays that he might have written that were never published. And I think as well, we, it's not only about printing the books, it's about the community that we engender mm -hmm. around Farmer. Yeah. And certainly in the UK, going back to early 2020, it was, you know, the thought was we would batten down the hatches and things would return to normal very quickly or potentially could. Um, but, you know, come March, April, May, it was obvious, you know, I wasn't going to be able to travel across to the States. Conventions like this just couldn't happen. Um, but we didn't want to not have some kind of community event. So, like everybody else, we started to explore virtual communications. Um, we ramped up our YouTube channel. We recorded panels, readings, interviews, loaded those all up. And... You know, one of the great things about being here is just hanging out with people. So we, like loads of other areas, set up a Zoom call and have people join us. And we, you know, over weekends, in both years of the pandemic, the last couple of years, we've held virtual pharmacons, Zoom hangouts, people joining, you know, sharing stories, just making, just trying to engender that feeling you get when you're here and they were really successful you know we had great fun and to the point where we're, we're going to hold another one this year for those uh, of our group who couldn't make it here was we're going to have a virtual pharmacon in a couple of weeks time so we can talk about this we'll have loaded up some of these panels on our youtube channel and you know just to try and make it a little bit more inclusive for people so i think that's something that you know positive almost that has come out of so if you're interested in some of the prior videos from prior years, and it's not just the last two years of virtual farmer cons, but there's also prior farmer content out there uh, on YouTube that we've kind of gathered and, and uh, put under the umbrella of our YouTube channel. Um, the, the URL is, is ridiculous, but just go to YouTube and search on Meteor House and, and you'll find our, our playlist. You just coined the word farmer content. <laughs> Farmer Con. Oh, I got it. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, even in the midst of the pandemic, with all of those issues, we kept books coming out, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, let's talk about some of those books. Um, we're going to try to do this in a little bit of an organized, chronological way, uh, so that it makes a little bit of sense. So I'm going to kick off first with uh, and just introduce the uh, from the bottomless pit book. That I think that was the first one that we got yep. done during the pandemic. Um, if you're not familiar with this book, it's a it's a novel that 
Phil wrote back in the early 70s, when, like 72? Late 70s. Probably. Late 70s? Yeah. Late 70s? Mid, mid to late. Okay, late, yeah. mid to late 70s. And it's an eco-disaster thriller uh, that, for whatever reason, it just didn't it didn't get actually published. Then. Uh, and uh, was it Subterranean that did it the first time? Or well, we serialized it in Farmer File. That's right. And then Subterranean brought it out in hardcover. Subterranean Press was the first one to publish it. And yeah, and I did some illustrations for that one. This time around, I did a new illustration on the inside, but mainly the big deal was getting it out in paperback. It's never been available in paperback mm -hmm. before. And so, yeah, I had the fun of creating a, an oil rig uh, digitally and then destroying it at the, <laughs> after, I, after I created this three-dimensional oil rig, then I got to destroy it. And that was kind of fun and exciting. And trying to figure out how to get across the, the idea of the damage here. Because basically, the gist of the, uh, the story is that, yeah, they, they, there's a terrorist attack and opens up this massive hole that, uh, that just sends oil into the California coast, and which catches on fire, and it just, it's like a global disaster. And it's very exciting if you've never read it. It's, it's, it's worth a read. Think of it as an alternate universe uh, in the 70s if this had gone down. Uh, it's kind of prescient with the terrorists. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, you know, so it's just the really... The BP oil spill a couple of years yeah, ago yeah. and all that. It's, yeah. it, it's surprisingly relevant even to today. And so, you know, check it out if you haven't. Um, the Subterranean Press edition that Keith mentioned, it was hardcover only, limited very limited print run, very expensive. So our goal was to get a low, finally make it available, you know, at a reasonable cost for a lot of people. All right, uh, Paul, mm -hmm. why don't you talk about some of the books you worked on? So first book I want to talk about is A Rough Night for the Queen. It's a biography that Phil wrote in 1953 on Richard Francis Burton, the Victorian explorer. If any of you have read any of the Riverworld series, you'll know how much Phil revered Burton. Um, and throughout the Riverworld series, you get little snippets of Burton's life. But on top of that, in 1953, Phil wrote an extended article that he thought would print in a, in a magazine on Burton. Um, magazine didn't take it, so it got put aside. I think later Phil did consider Create, expanding it into a full biography, but by then Fawn Brody had produced her biography of Burton, and I think Phil thought, you know, there's no point now. Redundant. Yeah. yeah. So it, it just sat there. Um, a fan, Craig Kimber, bought the manuscript um, years later, about 2004-05. I was working on um, an anthology for Phil of, or a collection of his uh, work, uh, Pearls from Peoria. Mike and I think Mike, you pointed us in this direction mm -hmm. of this manuscript. Um, we approached Craig, got a copy of the manuscript, included it in Pearls. But it always felt that it deserved more than, you know, a section in a in a book. So, you know, given the opportunity, we produced a, a standalone version. It's it's short. It's not a it's not a big book. Um, but it re it's very cleverly done. You know, Phil picks up on all the major incidents in Burton's life, and it really is a rip-roaring read and, you know, stepping through Burton's life. And I, I do see this as a, almost a stepping stone. You've read Riverworld or you knew about Burton in passing. You want to know a bit more. This is 
the perfect next step before you go on to the more academic um, biographies, because that's, that's not what this is. Um, great artwork from Charles Berlin. Mm. Um, I don't know how much you can see from there, but if you can't, please come by the, the table and have a closer look. Um, you know, articles there from Mick Walton, who's a Burton academic, Mark Hodder, who's written fictional um, Burton novels. Um, I even penned a couple of words there myself. So it's you know a, a great read. Um, I think I'm right in saying it's Farmer's only true biography that he ever did. You know, he's, he's written biographical articles, but truly, you know, um, Mike. Tarzan Alive? Yeah, but that's... <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I'll stop there. Thank you. <laughs> I know when I'm beat. <laughs> well, you can point out it's also in a paperback. I mean, so yes. it's not, we've done, we also have a paperback. Yes. So a lot of things that we do with our limited edition hardcovers is as we stitch in... Um, uh, did I pass it? There it is. So we also have an illustrated signature sheet, and, and this is actually stitched in. Uh, all the contributors to the book uh, have, have signed it. So you know, definitely uh, uh, a very nice collectible. And then, you know, once again, um, under, uh, we've got the, the gold stamping leatherette binding. So um, we try to do that on our hardcovers uh, as of the past couple of years. Okay. But as Keith said, there's also a more affordable paperback edition of that book. Great question. Yeah. That one is what, 150? Yeah. yeah. Anywhere from 150 to 250, depending on the book. And did you want to? Are you covering? Do I carry on? Yeah. 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 So, talk about your next one. Yeah. So then the next year, um, the man who met Tarzan. So this is a collection of all of Phil's articles concerning Tarzan and feral men incidents, occurrences. Um, the real challenge with this book, I think, was trying to work out how to structure the pieces. And that, that caused me a lot of um, sleepless nights. You know, it was always on my mind, mowing the lawn, doing the washing up, just what's the best way of, of linking them together. True chronology just wouldn't really work. Um, so finally we settled on, uh, the best analogy I can think of is a house, you start with the foundations. So there's articles there from Phil about ERB, about feral men, very interesting articles. have been printed before but in context now. More articles around Phil developing his theory that you know, Tarzan, or what the Tarzan that ERB wrote about, was based on a, a real person. Um, and then once he did, kind of firmed up on that conclusion, just how Lord Greystoke, you know, how he was going to be positioned, what was going to be his place in the world. And that, that led on to really what culminates as almost the penthouse in my strained analogy of the memoirs that uh, Lord Greystoke actually sent to Phil. So some of those are printed in here with some extended words that have never been printed before. And the interview that Phil himself conducted with Tarzan um, in Chicago, we believe, um, 
as well as the article itself or the interview itself, there are the preparatory notes included in here with some extra questions that never made it into the published interview. So it, I think of it as a bit of a companion piece to Tarzan Alive. It's the steps that Phil went through to, to come to those conclusions. Great, again, I don't know if you can see it, but great artwork on the cover by John Solly, who was a, a kind of film poster artist, probably most famous in the 80s. Um, I think he did the Death Race 2000 iconic poster, if I remember rightly. Um, you know, very interesting to talk to about his experiences of doing this. Again, bonus material. Um, what have we got? We've got a Henry Franke did a, an article for us around Tarzan, the professional Tarzan fan. Um, we have Christopher Wall Carey in here talking about his experiences of the book and of the Tarzan mythology. Um, and even a couple of articles from, from Phil that kind of introduce himself. Um, again, please come and have a look at it on the table. And as Gwyn pointed out for the previous book, you know, gold stamped, nice hardcover edition. Um, there is a paperback version as well. Um, can, I, can I add a few comments? Yes. Yeah. I was just okay. saying, can you find the coat of arms? Yeah. In the book. Well, do you know what page it's on? No. <laughs> just flip through. Well, everyone just wait here while he... Yeah, okay. yeah. All right. Okay. The point is that we, in the hardcover, we actually printed it in color. Yeah. I found it, I think. Yeah. There you go. So, so for those uh, in the audience who may not be aware, um, so Phil, Phil came up with Lord Greystoke's coat of arms. He described it. And then he worked uh, with uh, a fan who you may know from Star Trek fandom, a lady named Joe Trimble, uh, who did the original Star Trek uh, concordance back in 1975. Uh, so she's the one who actually illustrated this, this coat of arms. Uh, so that's a kind of a, a cool nugget of information. Um, Keith Howell did uh, a beautiful um, piece of artwork here and a beautiful frontispiece of Phil uh, kind of in the same position, sitting on the tree, uh, sort of the same type of position that Tarzan uh, is sitting in well, the cover actually, painting. Well, more like the well, ape. The ape. <laughs> okay, oh, the ape. All right, sorry. All right, what are you saying? Um, okay, well, anyway. Uh, and, you know, uh, Paul had uh, spoken about the interview. For those of you who are not aware, um, before Phil published his whole book, Tarzan Alive, his whole biography, um, he published uh, an interview in Esquire in 1972, I believe. Um, uh, thank you, April. Um, uh, an exclusive interview with Lord Greystoke. Uh, so that, again, that's reproduced in here. Paul mentioned uh, that there was extra material, additional questions and some notes and so forth that didn't make it into the final interviews published um, that we located. Um, I just want to say that's one of the things that we do as Meteor House in 2010, uh, coming back from FarmerCon, which was held in Seattle that year, one time only, uh, which we won't go into why, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I get, got back to Colorado, Mike and his family um, were driving back across country, arrived at our home in Colorado uh, a day or two later, and then Mike and I took a road trip up to University of Wyoming, which happens to have um, one of the um, preserved um, 
um, caches of Phil's papers. Um, so we went up and, uh, and were able to um, get library access to Phil's papers, and lo and behold, we find all of this extra material uh, about the interview that did not make it in um, to the published version. So that's what we do. We go out and research uh, and try to dig up uh, as much of additional material about Phil as possible and then bring it to the public. So that was kind of a, um, that was a fun treasure hunt. That, that, was, was. that, was, a good, that was a good day. Yeah, so the, uh, uh, again, if anybody in here is not familiar with Meteor House, that is kind of part of the unique uh, aspect of what Meteor House does. It's not just the entertainment factor. It's a historical repository as well. It's, yeah. you're, you're archiving this stuff for history as well. Yep. All right, when why don't we talk then about what happened the next round of publishing? Sure. Yeah. So now I think we're in 2021. 21, yeah. uh, uh, and unfortunately, once again, we didn't make it here to Pulp Fest, but we did get uh, several books out. Um, Man Who Met Tarzan uh, came out, and then several other books. Now, I spoke, um, I bet a lot of you were here last night, so I don't want to repeat uh, too much in terms of what we discussed regarding The Monster on Hold. But uh, The Monster on Hold, the collaboration of the Secrets of the Nine series um, that uh, I was able to do with, Pil, uh, with Phil um, Posthumus, collaboration um, written from his chapters, so his prose uh, as well uh, as an outline and extensive notes that we found uh, in his papers. Uh, and so that came out that year as well as another novella that we commissioned also in the Nine universe, uh, It's Always Darkest. And uh, Frank Schildener spoke uh, at, pretty, at length about that last night. Um, so really, I want to talk a little bit more about you know some of some of the extras as opposed to the nine mythology itself because again, I think a lot of you were here last night. So um, I'm just going to kind of fanboy a little bit uh, on this. Um, Mark Wheatley, who you know many of you may be familiar with as, as an illustrator, um, did the cover uh, for the a limited edition hardcover, and he did. Uh, a fabulous wraparound with sort of the Lovecraftian entity here on the front, and then Doc Caliban uh, and Doc Caliban's aides are headshots of them, and you know they're down down in the caves, going in, down into the deep Lovecraftian caves uh, in New England. So we're very grateful uh, to Mark uh, for his efforts. Um, we had such a wonderful response to. Doug Klauba's cover painting for the Trade Soft cover uh, of Doc Caliban. We had such an amazing response to that when we posted it online that we made the decision to include that cover painting uh, on the inside of the limited edition hardcover as well. So if you don't buy the soft cover and you're like, well, I wanted Doug's painting too, you get, you get both. Um, but you get more. Yeah, and wait, but wait, there's more. Um, we try to really knock it out of the park with our signature sheets. So Doug Klauba did this amazing um, wraparound page signature sheet uh, for the contributors to sign. Myself, Doug Klauba signed it, Mark Wheatley uh, signed it, and then Chuck Welch, uh, who many of you may know um, from the Doc Savage Flea Run and from Doc Savage Fandom, um, and um, his, uh, his website, uh, Doc Savage Organized, I think. Um, and, and Chuck is a big Doc Savage fan as well as a big Farmer fan, so he was the perfect person to write the introduction. Um, if you're familiar, if you've read the book, 
um, down in the caves, there are nine symbols of the nine, the nine immortals. And each of these symbols is duplicated here, going around uh, the edge. So a really beautiful illustration by Doug. Doug also did a great headshot of uh, Doc Caliban for us. And then there, the book is divided into three sections. Uh, and Mark Wheatley did three illustrations to uh, basically do the, the, the section breaks. Uh, and we've reproduced those in, um, I guess, sepia. So, um, in color in the hardcover, yeah. but in black and white. Oh, and black and white, and black and white in the, uh, in, in, the in the paperback. Uh, and we do have a lot of extras in here. So I included, um, I, I decided it was really best with a posthumous collaboration to be transparent um, with the readers. So we included Phil's, all, all of that original outline and original prose that I mentioned, as well as um, some of his notes. All of that is reproduced in here. So you can, you can read the book, uh, and then you can kind of see... Um, in some ways, how I reorganized some pieces of text in order to integrate it smoothly. Uh, and so, you know, you can tell exactly what Phil's original prose and ideas were um, versus the crap that I added in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so pretty proud of that. So there's some other extras in here. Um, and again, the, the interior contents um, are reproduced in the trade uh, as well. Uh, and I believe that the limited edition hardcover is almost sold out. Yeah, there's uh, and what we right. have at the Meteor House table for this one and for The Man Who Met Tarzan is mm. all we have left. Mm. Uh, less than 10 copies of either of those. Um, we're actually considering doing a trade hardcover of The Man Who Met Tarzan. That's not limited not without... Limited, not signed. Yeah. It won't be the leather bound and the gold stamping, right. and it won't be all that, but that's we're, something we're discussing. Um, uh, yeah, so that was kind of our big um, Secrets of the Nine splash. I want to thank Frank very much for his contribution uh, and, uh, and everybody else's contribution uh, from Keith to the consistent... Uh, cover design, and if we ever have the, the opportunity to bring out the first three books, A Feast Unknown, Lord of the Trees, and The Mad Goblin, it will have the same type of uh, consistent design with Secrets of the Nine across the top, the same typography, and that was um, intentional uh, on our part. So great design, um, wonderful art contributions, and uh, thrill of a lifetime to complete it. Uh, and so that's why I'm so grateful for all the support that I had from, from the team. It was a pleasure to read it and publish it. Thank you. Thanks. Great. We're very happy to let, when we get to have somebody finish one of Phil's unfinished novels, that's really kind of the big reason why we're here. So. Well, considering it was a 40 years in the making sequel, <laughs> what was the general reception? Do, I mean, obviously it's selling. Uh, have, we, have we gotten a fairly it's good response? selling very well. Um, you'd have to tell me about the reviews. Well, we've had some reviews like from the British Science Fiction Society and so forth. Um, I think that it, once we get the ebook out on Amazon, that that will drive some more Amazon reviews, mm -hmm. or I hope. Um, but if anyone here has already read it, and if they loved it, 
please go to Amazon and you know give it a star. I would I would really appreciate it. Well, more than um, one. Yeah. Well, well, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Multiple. <laughs> All right, thank you. Please. please don't give it a star, right? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, Mike, now that gets us to this year. 2022. So. Um, we brought out two books this year. We did three last year and of course had all the supply chain issues. So we took a step back. And one of the things, uh, if you look at our website, a new section we've added is the hardcover firsts, or what did we call it? First hardcovers. Because a lot of Phil's books back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, came out as paperback originals, Ace and Dawn, you know, all the, the usual suspects, and they never got hardcovers. And so if we're able to get new cover art and get some new contributions, maybe a new introduction, maybe we find something in the files, some bonus material, um, you know, we're going to bring you a new deluxe hardcover. And just like the previous books, you know, really nice leatherette binding with the gold foil stamping. This has a new introduction by Danny Adams. Um, so it's who signed. is Phil's Phil's nephew? Phil's grandnephew, who grandnephew. completed okay. uh, two of Phil's unfinished manuscripts. He completed the City Beyond Play, which PS Publishing brought out in 2007, I think, and he completed. Uh, Day World, A Hole in Wednesday, which was a prequel to Phil's Day World series. It is a really fun read. Um, got Danny and the cover artist Charles Berlin, who did the Rough Night for the Queen cover, to give us the cover art for this book. I know it's hard to see from back there. I love the back cover with the angry elephants, with the angry red eyes. Yes, sir. This yes. is Stone God Awakens. Did I not say that? I never heard. Yeah, I probably did not say it then. So <laughs> Stone this, God Awakens. The Stone God Awakens. This is one of Phil's stand, rare standalone novels that, again, only came out in paperback, was re re reprinted several times by a few different publishers, British editions, foreign editions, but never came out in hardcover. And that's something, you know, to keep Phil's name out there, to, to honor him, we're hoping to bring out hardcovers eventually of all of his books that never got the hardcover treatment. And for those who haven't read this book or much Phil, you know, Phil, one of his greatest attributes was his imagination and just his ability to, okay, let's look, not 10 years in the future or 100 years or 1,000 or a mil, mere million years in the future. Um, what is this one, like 12? I'm sorry, 20 billion years in the future. Okay, what does Earth look like? Well, the sentient creatures there are cats, raccoons, elephants, bats. Um, there aren't any humans around. Well, our main character, our protagonist, is a scientist who, I think it was in the 80s, is working on being able to stone, we'll call stone objects turn them to stone and then later unstone them, which is something he does in the Day World series too. And this guy accidentally gets stoned and they never figure out how to unstone him. So he is hard as a rock, impervious for 20 billion years until one day he gets struck by lightning and gets reanimated. And he wakes up in this crazy future 
that you know only Phil Farmer could have imagined. <laughs> and my favorite part of the future, and the reason there's so much of a, a tree on the cover, and again, please come by the table and see these up close, is there's a giant tree that basically covers from the Atlantic Ocean to the Mississippi River, from the Gulf all the way up into Canada. It's one giant tree, one living organism, and it's pissed off that this guy woke up. So, um, so uh, one of Phil's fun novels. I love when you know he really stretches his imagination like that. Um, and the uh, so and hardcover limited, only 150 copies, and a trade paperback as well. Um, like I said, one of his fun books. And then I wish I had brought the paperback as a prop, but a lot of you have probably seen the Daw edition of. Um, of this book, which only gives you that much of the cover art, and not even the full width, just, you know. Just a little square. Just a yeah. little square of it at the bottom of the book, and there's a lot of, because it's Iron Castle, Philip Jose Farmer retells J.H. Rosny's classic, and it refers to Rosny as the Edgar Rice Burroughs of France, and all of that is, all those words are on the front cover. And it's, several years ago, Ray Walsh, a dealer here, brought the original painting here to sell, and none of us had ever seen it before. A lot of Crankle experts had never seen it before, and the whole cover is just stunning. Um, so we put it out in hardcover with no text on the cover whatsoever. Our paperback does say Iron Castle down here, and we just went all in on the cover art with the top half of the painting for the front end pages and the bottom half of the painting in the rear and this you know really nice leather and the gold foil stamping and it's a really really fun story it was originally written by J.H. Rosny in 1922 or published in 1922 and it's you know what's well, the 100th, 100th it was, anniversary it was the 100th anniversary yeah. which we had in our notes and completely forgot about actually brought out the book last uh, or this year, so it wasn't in the marketing or anything. Because um, we're on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, doing this all remotely, and we all have full-time jobs, and you know this isn't a, a full business for any of us. But Phil, we we always thought Phil translated the story from the French, but apparently Donald Wolheim gave him a French translation and said, "Punch this up, <coughs> add to it if you want to." Which and Phil did. added a whole bunch to it, um, as he's, you know, not surprising. Um, so we have that in here, and luckily, Wynn and Chris Carey had written a sequel to this called Iron and Bronze about, was it 2007, 2005? Seven or eight, I think. Okay, yeah. when they published it. And so we included that sequel in the book. Um, gives you a bit more about that world, about what just what was discovered in Africa. And I started to say this is a uh, you know African adventure of discovering not necessarily a lost civilization, but a strange civilization. Lots of very strange plants and animals, and, and what's behind all that. And Brian Stableford, many of you may have heard of, was a British science fiction author, and still is, and still is. Thank you. And 
has done a lot of translations of French novels into English, including, I believe, all of Rosny's work for Black Coat Press, and he translated his own edition of Iron Castle, included in, in a collection of other stories. And in that, he speaks very highly of Phil's translation. Um, so we reached out to him and asked him to write an introduction to this book, which he did, and then he signed the signature sheets, as well as Chris and Wynn, who both also penned afterwards uh, for the book about the Wold Newton connections and um, surprising embellishments by Wynn, the Wold Newton mythos. And Chris's piece is more about the crystal tree and the connection of this book to Phil's Tarzan and the Dark Heart of Time, among other things. So this is something we're really proud of. We've really, as he was, as Wynn was saying with, with this book, we're really now getting away from lightning source and just mass producing things and trying to create works of art and really, you know, beautiful collectible books, uh, as well as, you know, fantastic stories inside them. So that's basically yeah. what we've been up to since the pandemic started, <laughs> sort of refocused our energies a little bit. And I think we've got about seven minutes left to take any questions, unless Keith has another. Well, I thought maybe you might want to give them a sneak peek a little bit about maybe what, what Meteor House might oh. have coming up. Okay. Sure. All right. Anticipation, you know. Anyone want to, I, I can jump on that if anybody else wants to. Why don't you talk about the, the main project that we're going to... The main project yeah. we're going to do... So when we first started Meteor House back in 2010, we reached out to Phil's estate, the agent for Phil's estate, and told them what we wanted to do. We put a couple contracts in place for some things, and that covered multiple books. But we had to promise him we'd stay away from Riverworld. That's Phil's most famous project, you know, series. Everybody's heard of Riverworld. They were bringing out the second Riverworld movie on the Sci-Fi Channel. Tor was bringing out new editions of Riverworld. And he was just like, you know, you can go play with all this other stuff, but you got to stay away from, from the big boys. And it's been 10 years now, and nothing happened after the second Riverworld movie. Tor hasn't done anything <laughs> new. They haven't commissioned any new Riverworld stories or anything, so... We reached out to the estate and said, we want to do a Riverworld collection, all of Phil's short stories, Riverworld short stories, which have never been collected together before, and the novel, um, which the title, I seem to have a mental River mark. of River Eternity. Eternity. Thank you. River of Eternity, um, which, uh, for those not aware, Phil originally wrote the first Riverworld novel as a standalone novel, just one book, had a beginning, had an end, wasn't part of a series. He entered a contest, he won the contest, he got screwed out of the prize money, they asked for revisions, he ended up writing three different versions of it, manuscripts got lost. Eventually, the series came out in the 70s, was a huge hit, and in the 80s, he found one of those manuscripts and published it through Fantasia Press, small press that did really gorgeous books. And that was it, we hope one day we might find one of the other manuscripts, but nobody ever has, but we're gonna include River of Eternity with all of the short stories and some excerpts and any other, we're gonna start looking for ephemera 
interviews, maybe letters where he's talked about Riverworld and stuff. We'll include as much of that in there as we can and sort of have a definitive Riverworld collection that excludes the main five novels. And River of Eternity is sort of an alternate novel, right? Yeah, it's true. sort of an alternate continuity novel, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. it's different. Yeah. Phil made a lot of changes by the time he got to writing To Your Scattered Bodies Go, um, the first novel in the Riverworld series that he won a Hugo Award for. Okay. What about Riverworld War? That is an excerpt from, it's, it's funny, I was talking to somebody about this today. Phil, published some amazing things um, but there's this little tiny book out there called River World War The Suppressed Fiction of Philip Jose Farmer and the idea of there being suppressed fiction when you think about a feast unknown <laughs> an image of the beast in love song and this quote unquote suppressed fiction was a couple of chapters cut out of the dark design that was a big battle scene so the dark design was the third River World book thank you okay uh and it was it's like 60 pages, and it doesn't really move the story along. And so they asked him to cut that out. Um, and he did a, uh, he wrote the novel Jesus on Mars, another book we hope to bring out in the future. And he did, a, he did an excerpt, not an excerpt, an abridgment of it that was supposed to appear in Asimov's science fiction magazine. But Pinnacle brought out the book before the excerpt could come out. So it ended up in this suppressed collection, which was just a timing thing. It wasn't that anybody was suppressing it. So we're going to include River World War as well, and you know anything else we can find that we can. You know, go, we're going to go through all the files again, which is like my favorite way to spend a weekend because I have a lot of his files at my house. So, and that's where we get a lot of this stuff from. How are we doing on time? Looks to me like we got oh, two minutes. We got two okay. minutes left. We had a question. Sorry, have a question. Yeah. It's funny, Bob Block, who he was great friends with for, for decades, donated, I guess, all of his papers to the University of Wyoming and talked Phil into doing it. And Phil did, what was it, five or six boxes? Yeah. Ended up there. We've also discovered several boxes are at the University of North Illinois, Northern Illinois. And then when he passed away, his family let me take everything that was in the basement uh, with the understanding that at some point it's going to one of those universities or some university somewhere. I'm just holding them for now so we can go through them and keep bringing out books. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it is, a, it is a strange question, you know, where, why, why the University of Wyoming? And there's another set of his papers, I think, at one, at either an, a third university, oh, I think. I okay. can't remember. But anyway, it's, it, they're, kind of, they're kind of scattered. To answer your question, why not? <laughs> Bob Block. Blame it on Bob Block. All right. I guess uh, that's probably it, unless we've got like another question that we can do in a minute. Yes, yeah. sir. This is not what you guys are right about. Have you thought of doing anything with uh, if he's interested with uh, Will Murray? Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think Will is great. I think he's interested in his own stuff. Um, to be honest, I mean, I know that he was a great—he's a great admirer of some of the stuff that that Farmer has done. Um, you know, I, I suspect that he wouldn't be interested in in doing anything further with Farmer's work, but yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah. 
And they knew each other. They met. There's a very <laughs> Will interviewed Phil for uh, Starlog magazine back in the day, and I know they knew each other before then. So, yeah. And if you've never read that, I've got it. I've got the text up online on my website. Oh yeah, the full oh, text yeah. of that yeah. two-part interview that was massive. It was just fantastic. It was how I learned of Philip Jose Farmer. Bill. Just a, a comment, you know, like Lynn said, you're trying to produce works of art. You've succeeded. Oh, thank oh, you. Thank you. Oh. you guys have really done the same thing the Robert E. Howard Foundation Press has done. <laughs> You've paid truly the greatest honor you can for the legacy and for the fans who preserve the work. So thank you. Well thank you. Thanks. Thank you very thank much. You. You That's a good way to end it. <laughs> <laughs>